Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here and to carry on with the, um, the sermon series that we've got on the Sermon on the Mount. And this passage is such a challenging passage, and I have loved looking at it in a bit more detail and unpacking it. And I want to start by asking whether you were one of the 12.8 million people who watched the final episode of Line of Duty a couple of weeks ago. And if you were, were you one of the 12.7 million people who were really, really disappointed at the ending? And apologies anybody who hasn't seen it um, and is planning to because you've got a massive disappointment coming. If you weren't a big fan of it, or if I'm about to ruin it for you, then imagine watching six series of a program, investing your life in that program, waiting to find out who the leader of a group of corrupt police officers is, to find out at the very end that it's not properly revealed. <laughs> to find out that the big ending is that the people lower down the chain get caught and the person at the top are able to hide away in safety. And the reason so many of us were disappointed by that ending was because we knew it was a realistic ending, but we didn't want the realistic ending. We wanted an ending in which the bad people got caught and got brought down and got punished, and the good people got congratulated, got promoted, got the glory they deserved. We wanted fairness for those who deserved it, and we wanted punishment for those who deserved that. And this sense of fairness is what the Old Testament law was based on. The law that said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was brought in and put in place to ensure that appropriate retaliation happened. It was intended to make sure that while somebody who committed a crime should be punished, that punishment was proportional to the crime they'd committed. And similarly, the law around suing somebody meant that, yes, they could sue you and they could take your shirt from you, but they couldn't take more than that because that was disproportional and it would leave you with nothing. And a soldier could insist that you help to carry somebody's load for a mile, which I'm sure felt a really, really long way if you were carrying something very heavy for somebody. But they couldn't demand that you went further than that. And you must love your neighbours and you love those who you lived in harmony with, but you didn't have to show love for those who were difficult or those who treated you badly. But, <laughs> um, in, so in theory, the law was fair and everybody knew what was expected of them and it was just. And so you knew that if somebody hurt you, you were allowed to hurt them in the same way. If somebody loved you and was good to you, then you did the same to them. But if they were unkind or cruel to you, then you could harbour resentment and anger towards them. And throughout this sermon series, as we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount, I've just been able to imagine all the people sitting, listening to Jesus. And as he says those words, you've heard that it was said, I can just picture all those good, God-fearing, rule-obeying people who sit there and nod their heads really wisely. And yes, yes, I do that. I only do appropriate retaliation. If a soldier forces me to go a mile with somebody, I do that. I love my neighbours. I only hate my enemies. 
I'm right, I'm safe, I'm okay. And then again today, we hear Jesus, as he's done throughout this Sermon on the Mount, change things, shake things up. He says the scary words, but I tell you. And once again, Jesus is moving the goalposts. He's saying that what the people have done isn't enough. He's telling them that they have to live a different way. And I can imagine the smiles fading as those words sink in and the reality hits for people that this is hard. And I think it's still hard for us over 2,000 years later. Because the words that Jesus is saying leaves no room for any doubt. They tell us throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount that we have to change the way we think. We have to change the way that we act. And I think if we're honest... We, most of us will think that they ask more of us than can be reasonably expected. Before going further with that, I want to just talk briefly about what Jesus isn't saying in this passage. These verses absolutely do not advocate damaging, controlling or abusive behaviour. They don't mean that if somebody treats us badly, we should allow that to happen. They don't mean that we need to become or stay close friends with people who treat us really painfully. They don't excuse wrong behaviour and they don't say that it shouldn't be punished. There are still times, even in Jesus' words, in which we need to challenge people who do things which are hurtful or wrong. There are still times in which the best thing might be to cut contact with somebody we still should obey the laws of our land and that means that sometimes actions should be punished and sometimes by law. So what is Jesus trying to prove in this? What does he want us to do? Because if the law was about fairness, why is he now changing those goalposts? And the answer, as it is throughout all of the Sermon on the Mount and all of Jesus' life, is love. Jesus came in love. Later on in Matthew's gospel, when he's asked which of the commandments is greatest, he answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole of the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is that people who follow Jesus need to live in a different way. And loving people is different. Love is a way that goes beyond the bare minimum, a way that makes us stand out, a way that means that other people notice us. And through loving people who've hurt us, even if that means that we have to change or break relationships, or even if we have to involve the police in situations, even if we can't have ongoing relationships with people, we can still treat them with love and we'll still stand out from the rest of society. Because while the existing law might have been fair, fairness doesn't always go hand in hand with love. And without love, there's resentment, then there's retaliation, 
and then there's relationship breakdown. We see it all the time. We see it in small ways, like the family members who just won't speak anymore because of years of resentment over behaviour that both of them feel was wrong. We see it on a larger scale. We see the deathly destruction in Israel and Palestine and in Northern Ireland. And it's built on years and years and years of resentment and retaliation and a refusal to listen. Thousands of lives are lost and thousands more destroyed. But it's so different when people act with love when they do turn the other cheek. After the tragic shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School, Robbie Parker, whose six-year-old daughter was murdered, gave a statement that said, we'd like to offer our deepest condolences to all the families who were directly affected by this shooting. It's a horrific tragedy, and we want everybody to know that our hearts and our prayers go out to them. This includes the family of the shooter, and I can't imagine how hard this experience must be for you. And I want you to know that our family and our love and our support goes out to you as well. Speaking love to the family of the person who took his daughter's life made Robbie Parker stand out. It made him be noticed. Most of us haven't experienced anything like that kind of tragedy but all of us have experienced hurt at the hands of other people. So how do we show that love? How do we find that peace within us that means that we can love those who've hurt us? The word that Jesus uses in verse 44 for love is agape. And a definition that I read of agape is the divine selfless love which will go to any length to attain the well-being of its object. Agape is a love that we work for rather than instinctively feel. It's a love that doesn't always come easily. It's the love that means we might or we might not have warm feelings towards the person. Agape love is the love that means that we'd put our lives in danger to save a child. It's the love that means that we do the right thing for somebody even when we don't feel like it or want to. And it's agape love that Jesus calls us to have for our enemies. A love that makes it possible for us to turn the other cheek or to give more than is required or to go the second mile and to give generously to those who ask. And I think that there are three things that free us to love in an agape way. And the first of those is when we trust God enough to know that he will take our hurt and our pain and our anger to give those things to him, to trust that he will heal the wounds that have been inflicted upon us. It comes when we believe that he will provide for all of our needs, whether that's mending our broken heart after somebody has let us down, whether it's meeting our physical needs if somebody's bad decisions have led us to lose money or jobs, it's bringing hope into places where we see that pain has been caused and we can't see past it. All of us naturally want what we think is rightfully ours and the world is obsessed with our rights and what we deserve. 
But the Sermon on the Mount is all about living a different way to the rest of the world. And the message that Jesus gives is about putting our identity into him, about seeing those people that we might not think of as important as being children of God and of letting go of what we think we deserve, what we think we have the right to, so that God can give us so much more. And the second way I think we can get that kind of agape love is by trusting that God is a God who judges. He judges all of us, and that we can leave those who've hurt us to him. Turning the other cheek means that we forgive others, but it doesn't mean that they go unpunished. Jesus calls on us to pray for, our, for those who persecute us, but not to be their best friend. There might still be punishment needed. But in all cases, and that includes our own lives and our own sin, we will stand in judgment in front of God. We will have to make an account of our wrongdoing. And I read a story of a man whose grandchild was killed who said, we must not think evil of this man. He had a wife and a mother and a soul, and now he's standing before a just God. When we believe that God will ultimately judge those who hurt us, those who've caused us pain, those who've caused pain in the lives of others, it frees us from needing to seek that revenge or retaliation. God is fair and just, and he will judge us in that way, and we can leave people to him. And the third way that I think God frees us to love in, in a really unconditional way is when we realise that the whole message of the gospel is unfair. It's unfair, but we all benefit from that unfairness. Because throughout the whole of human history, throughout the Bible, all we see is God lavish love on people who don't deserve it. He makes clothes for Adam and Eve, the, you know, minutes after they've disobeyed the one rule that he gave them. He made Abraham the father of a great nation, even though Abraham didn't trust him enough to hold on and wait for Sarah to fall pregnant. He made David the greatest king of Israel, even after David lied and cheated and committed adultery and committed murder. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus forgave a woman who was caught in adultery. He told a story of a father who loved his son so deeply, despite his hurt and his shame that he caused him. He loves the disciple who lied three times and said he never knew him. And in the darkest hours on the cross, Jesus forgives those as who have drilled nails through his hands and forced a crown of thorns onto his head. The message at the very heart of the gospel isn't fair. It's one of people who have sinned and turned away from God, being shown unfailing love and forgiveness over and over and over and over again. It's a message of second and third and fourth chances. It's the message of being loved when we're unloving and we're unlovable. It's a message of the only perfect man taking the punishment for all of us. 
And so when Jesus commands us to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile, to give away more than we're asked for, to love and to pray for our enemies, he isn't asking us to do anything more than he did for us. He did it on earth when he was being mocked and assaulted. He did it when he was living a life of sacrifice. He did it when he forgave us our sins through his death and his resurrection. And he does it for us every single day as he draws us and forgives us and loves us into a relationship that we don't deserve. All of us have been hurt by other people. All of us have been taken advantage of. All of us carry the scars. But all of us hurt other people too. All of us hurt God every single day. And yes, the message in this passage might feel hard and it might feel unfair. And all of us need God to help us to live it out. But when we do that, relationships are healed and peace is found and lives are turned around and we're released. So the message might feel unfair and it might feel like letting people off the hook. And when it does feel that way, remember that the whole message of the gospel is about grace. It's about the glorious, the undeserving, the freeing love that the Father has lavished on us and on the whole world. Amen.